0: Welcome to Anchor Profile Interview. It's Dr. Dan with Anchor Talk, and I am very excited today to have none other than Simon Says here with our interview feature that we're doing through Anchor. Simon, welcome to the Interview Profile Series. How are you
1: today? Hello, Dan. Good to be here. Thank you very much. On a cloudy day over here. How are you? I'm doing
0: great. You know, uh, it's it's like talking to an old friend. I hear your voice. We do callings back and forth, and now to get a chance to talk one on one, it's really cool. Uh, so I thank you for all you do for the anchor community. Uh, you, you are just a, an awesome blessing.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. And just to say that um, I can say exactly the same for yourself because I think we both do the same thing. We just probably do it in a slightly different way. So. I think you know with me now that uh, I'm happy being a community member. I don't see myself as uh, any better than anybody else, Uh, just maybe around a little bit more than other people. But I like being in the trenches, as we call it, in the UK. I like being down with the people. And if I can, uh, you know, help other people on their journey, then it's sort of helping my journey at the same time.
0: Absolutely. So tell us where you are in the UK and – just you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, we'll start with there.
1: Well, currently uh, I'm in the north of England. So I think uh, because obviously the station is quite dominated by Americans, lots of people know about London, maybe Liverpool because of the Beatles, maybe Manchester. Um, but Leeds is the city that I'm from, which is, well, there's debate, it's either the third or the fourth city. Um, and, yeah, excuse me, my phone's beeping and that's – but that's authentic, isn't it? Anyway, um, uh-huh. yeah, so, so it's either the third or the fourth. Is I, think, I think we're close to a million, which is not huge in American terms. But in this country, obviously, we're a small island. I believe you can fit uh, three Great Britons in Florida, to give it, put it into perspective. So I was born here, 45 now. I was born in Leeds, um, but I've only spent half my life. So I don't really have the accent, not that many people – in America will probably understand all of the different regional accents uh, many Americans think that it's a British accent and And it's not it's um, I think people muddle between Great Britain being a collection of countries similar to states and each country has its own dialogue uh, dialect kind of thing and own language and then obviously English is English for uh, for me so born here and raised here But um, I've actually spent most of my time in the south of the country. So I have a mixture of uh, different accents.
0: Oh, very good. No, that's fascinating. I had an opportunity to visit England about five or six years ago, went over with my daughter and a choir from the U.S. And we rented a car and we drove around and even went to France and Belgium. And I got my taste of driving on the left side of the road. Which was a lot of fun and a challenge, but I, I made it. it. It was an awesome experience. I love visiting.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and our certainly uh, roads, I think, in Europe are on the whole a lot smaller than, uh, than there, it can be a bit tighter and twistier in some places, and uh, it makes for some, uh, some very interesting driving. And I've, I've driven many, many miles in, in America, and um, it's, it's a very different driving experience. I think the difference as well is that we have, I think, what you call stick shift. We call it gear, gears, gear lever. Okay. Uh, We call it stick shift. Um, So we don't have many autos um, in the UK. We now are semi-automatic. Semi-automatic is becoming a big thing. But, uh, you know, the great thing we're on, twisty country roads in England, full of greenery, and you have to keep changing all the time, literally changing up and down all the time, twisty, hilly. And in America, I find you know, being on the freeways a lot is is quite one direction, heading one direction, and off you go. So I guess it's a it's a very different experience coming uh, coming over. But you know, I've been both sides, so
0: that that's great. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful countryside and just I, I can't wait to go back uh sometime in the near future. So Simon, tell us a little bit how you got involved with Anchor uh and and uh just give us a, give a little update on that because I, I, I can tell you really enjoy the platform and it's just a natural for you. And it's just a, an amazing community, like we've said. And with the new version 2.0 and the podcasting ability, there's just a lot of great features. How did you first come to find out about Anchor?
1: So I'm um, I'm more active. Um, I had a couple of years ago, I was doing a very public role in the UK and I had a very large social media following um, I made a lot of mistakes on that, but I may talk about that a little bit later. So I'd actually come off social media, but I, I never came off LinkedIn. So if people don't know what LinkedIn is, okay. LinkedIn is um, a business hub or a, like a social media version for business people. So it looked very much like Facebook now. It's becoming very Facebooky with posts and things like that, but it's mainly orientated around people talking – about business kind of thing, in fact they 've just started video on there as well, so it's some people call it Facebook too, but i 've always been active on there, promoting like the business side of me rather than the sociable side kind of thing and on, on LinkedIn, you can be both, um, but it 's more straight laced and, and business uh, person like so I think maybe i 'm not sure how long i 've been on now, maybe four weeks feels like, feels like a lot longer, but not in a negative way, uh, maybe five right. weeks ago. Yeah, maybe five weeks ago, I think, um, on LinkedIn, uh, as in on Anchor, there's a lot of social media consultants, uh, people, uh, gurus, professionals, or whatever you like. And I saw a gentleman saying, oh, there's this new Anchor thing. Uh, Never heard of it. And obviously, for me, Anchor is obviously started in America and is heavily dominated by Americans, so not really that well known in the UK and probably even Europe. So um, he said, oh, yes, it's audio. You can just literally go on, click the button, record, and you can turn it into a podcast if you want. So a couple of years ago, while I was running marathons, I did actually have a pod, uh, podcast. And um, and I enjoy okay. the spoken. I, I mean, I, I think the, the thing with me, Dan, is that I can... Maybe because of my past and things like that, I can. I sometimes think that my writing, my written word can be quite cold and, and not very expressive. All I'm told it is. Um, but however, when I speak, I think um, people can hear the tone in your voice. Same with video. Even better with video at the end of the day because I think people can see your emotions. Like if I've run a marathon and I type that I've run a marathon, people to me can't really get to that place. They can't, you know, I could just say, I've run a marathon. But there's no you know there's no emotion there, but if people see me at the end of a marathon and can hear me, then I think they can buy into it a little bit more. and you know the thing is with things like that, I want people to actually hear and buy into who the person is, and so anchor for me has been i mean i I sort of like look at it as like an Instagram stories. I look at it as these short bursts where you can just come on and off throughout the day, have a little thing in your head, go on kind of thing do your thing and then get back off and and again that it may you know it may help somebody or whatever but I think mainly it's um, what's been good for me is it's allowed me to express um, a lot of things in my life not just one thing Um, and I've come from I got swallowed up in the uh, social media non-authenticity boat let's say where right you know and and I see a lot of um, I don't know what the actual word is dis non non authentic, let's call it non authentic. Um, and I became and I absolutely am honest about how I got swallowed up in that and made mistakes. So I think anchor for me is like a rebirth of social media. It's it's the first time probably in my social media life where I can come on and and I literally just speak down. I mean I mean there is no notes ever. There is no preparation at all. Right. Yeah, I do I do have some topics that uh, are on a wall like you know so that because I have memory issues kind of thing so you know but literally I tend to even not go by that I go by by whatever comes out of my heart so if I hear for instance you say something I think oh I'll go and have a talk about that or I hear about Charlottesville I'll go and talk about that kind of thing so I'm, for the first time I think I'm able to to just go with where my heart wants to go and and in the past I haven't I've scripted things for an audience and now I'm not scripting now I'm absolutely who I am in the people that know me in real life know that exactly what I talk about is exactly what I would talk about in the street to a little old lady or a little old man uh, at the bus stop so it's it's what I call real and authentic and for me Anchor's providing me a platform to actually be who I am which can sound a bit weird but I've come from a very non-authentic place
0: Uh, Very well put, and I know that's one of the things I think uh, makes you so uh, connecting with with your listeners. And, And, of course, it's not just listeners on Anchor. People are calling and connecting, and I like what you said about the theme of your station. It's your uncut life, and that just kind of summarizes it right there, and you're able to share in just a real, authentic way. And I know the other theme of your station, as you shared in your sign-up form for the interview, is that uh, you enjoy talking about your personal passions, which is raising awareness of mental health, PTSD, your running, coaching, and mentoring. So let's get back into that a little bit more, and uh, because I love your mental health uh, uh, focus, because that's something that resonates with so many of us. And if if you'd like, if you could just share some of your past and how uh, that is something that's brought you to here, even with yeah. your uh, marathoning and your, your professional life there, because it's a fascinating story and one that you're very open and honest about.
1: Yeah, I think the thing with me is I only try to discuss things that I absolutely know about. And again, for me, that's authenticity. So I don't, you know there 's areas that i you 'll never hear me talk about, probably Dan, but mental health um has absolutely good or bad, right or wrong, has been a part of my life since childhood um, now it would take me to it would take me one whole interview, probably, and hours to describe all of my life, so I try to reduce it, which may come across to some people as cold and matter of fact but it's not it's just that it's so much in a 45 year old person's life who's had a lot of trauma that um it can be hard to uh you know it can it can be hours and hours kind of thing so basically uh from childhood um and and this is this is bits and pieces that i that i know kind of thing uh from what i've me sure. from my dad so um my mum basically i was born as a, if you call it a mistake, so my mum and dad were very young, um, were not ready to have a child. In In the England, in the days of the 60s and 70s, when um, two people, you know, had a child out of wedlock, so weren't married, the two families would force, in effect, the two to get married because they now had a child. This is this is very old Britain. This is not, not today, today's society. And so... Yeah. Well, uh, basically, my mum rejected me, so didn't want me as a child. And this started off a whole long history um, of all sorts kind of things. So my mum was was very abusive physically and mentally, was abusive uh, towards me. Um, I'm not sure what it's called in America. We call it the care system. So you can be placed in like a home with other children. Um, so I think I was six or seven years old when I was first placed in a home with other children, and there continues wow. the abuse because the, the issue in the U.K. is bullying and abuse continued in the 60s and 70s and 80s, and it's just been investigated now in, uh, in the U.K. So staff were abusive, uh, mainly physically and mentally. So if you can imagine, years and years of put-downs, uh, you will be a failure, lots of words. The, the thing is, with uh, physical abuse, you know, then scars can heal over time. However the mental side, the emotional side of the constant words, you know, that does and has followed me into adulthood and has created a lot of bad behaviour and all sorts. Um so basically from six years old until I was seventeen and a half, I was um in and out of a care system. Some days I didn't even know what day it was or who I was. Uh, wow. I spent yeah. So I, I was in six different six different establishments, let's call it where basically you're like a, a child who's locked up without ever having committed a crime. Um, very strict, very hard. Um, and basically um, when I was 17 and a half, I had to go to my, what I call my abuser, my mum, and ask her to join the army. Because in the UK, if you're under 18 years old, you're still considered to be a child. And so you have to ask your parents permission. So to get out of the care system, uh, um, bizarrely, I had to go to the one person who, who could have denied me but she didn't at the end of the day so all the way in and out from 6 to 17 and a half I had multiple, multiple trauma, different forms of, uh, of abuse, like I said mainly psychological, mainly words and things like that um, and there is no greater or lesser abuse is abuse, it just comes in, uh, in very different forms so the, the trauma and the things and the mental health people then may start to understand it, it's a passion because it's actually who I am. I, I'm not talking from a third-party point of view. Uh, right. And there is no one uh, for, for anybody that raises awareness of mental health for me, Dan, is, is you know is doing good. doesn't matter whether they've looked after someone who's got a mental health condition or like me, but I, we call it lived experience. So I speak from my heart because it's happened to me. Um, and so it's been... You know, I, I, when I speak about these things and the tips and hints, they're coming from me. They're not coming from a book. They're not coming from sure. a professional. I'm not a professional as well, just to say as well. I coach, but I'm not a mental health professional, a doctor, a psychotherapist. Um, it's all spoken words from my own, you know, the advice, and that's what it is. It's advice. It all comes from me. So the passion and drive comes from uh, having lived through it. Now. In the seventies, there wasn't really any proper diagnosis of, uh, of mental health. You know, it was it was that's true. You know, you're a bad child was the version. That was that was the issue. You're, you wow. must be a bad yeah. child, uh, which obviously in later life that can cause you know its own problems. Um, so yeah, um, basically throughout so throughout my childhood, I'd had abuse, which um, I now know to be. Trauma. Obviously, at the time, I wouldn't have known what it was. Uh, right. Um, uh, so basically, I joined the army to bizarrely get out of this care system, which was bullying and abusive, into a system which um, is very similar to the care system because it's uh, it's regimented. Um, so uh, I fitted in quite well. Now, I have met some veterans in America, and and it can be quite similar in the fact that the military provides a place for people from broken backgrounds. Because you can take a broken child, man or woman, who's sort of struggling in life and going all over the place, put them into the military, you reduce them back down to low level, then you build them back up as a soldier. So in the UK, the military used to look for people from broken parts of Britain, broken homes, abused children, bullied children, because actually you make the best... Really? Soldiers. <laughs> well, okay. yeah. Uh, Because probably because um, you're quite angry. Uh, And, you know, think about it. If a soldier has that anger channeled, then you become a good good soldier because, you know, you can't be – you need to have a certain amount of aggression and anger in some ways to be a soldier. Um, Now, the place I'm at now, I I don't – yeah, the place I'm at now, I don't really agree with that. I'm in a different place now. Uh, if I could change things now, which I don't want to because it's a part of my life, uh, I would never have gone into the military because I'm sort of now against death, destruction, and war, and I'm more for love and peace. Uh, But at the time, it provided a haven from one set of circumstances. But then I just ended up in another set of circumstances. Um, And then the trauma had never been dealt with. It continued. I was ill when I joined the military. Uh, trying desperately to, to do something good with my life um, And I was doing I was doing quite well uh, Traveled around the world a little bit uh, then I went to Bosnia with the United Nations in 93 94 which was just after a whole load of atrocities and ethnic cleansing um, the, the the issue with when you go to the United Nations in the military is um you're an observer so you can't do anything it's not an aggressive force so you have to that's got to be
0: uh, yeah that's got to be frustrating to see but not be able to do a whole lot right
1: yeah because it's not how can i say this um initially it's not how how modern you know modern soldiers are now trained to be peacekeepers but from this you know from the you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, again, you know, for instance, with Vietnam. Imagine, uh, you know, the U.S. Army going to Vietnam as a peacekeeping force. Well, it wasn't a peacekeeping force. It was an aggressive, rightly or wrongly, it was an aggressive force going to do a job kind of thing. So you put in guys who've been trained to kill suddenly in a place where they have to stand around and watch people, you know, uh, be butchered, buildings on fire, destruction, people being, you know, old people being forced out of their homes having to walk hundreds of miles with the three things that they have left, yeah, that's that's very difficult. Um, I was never a frontline um, soldier, um, but I still saw some unsavory things, which if you can imagine, like I never blame the military. A lot of ex-military tend to sometimes blame the military for the trauma. Well, number one, I chose to do the job, Dan, so I have to accept part of that responsibility. Nobody put a gun to my hand. I chose to do it. Right. Um, Right. But on on the other hand, you're never, you are never, ever, ever prepared for what you can see, no matter how strong a man or woman somebody thinks. When you see the first dead body or the first burnt out building or this other kind of thing, it's, you know, it's desperately difficult. Suddenly you become a human being, not a soldier. And then, yeah, you can't do anything. So, i have come into the, to the service already with a traumatic childhood, and then in another traumatic situation, and if you can imagine from there, my, my life just spiraled. When I came back from Bosnia, I, my life spiraled downhill. And, um, and, and basically I became a, we call it like a, you come back as a shell of a person. You know, the, the hmm. physical manifestation is there, but right. um, the rest of me is gone kind of thing it's like burnt out a black hole inside can i
0: can i and, can i ask you simon was was that one of the lowest parts of your life uh in a sense perhaps
1: oh oof. probably not no which which <laughs> no <laughs> which which may sort of intimate the the type of very difficult life that i've had so uh, no uh it wasn't i think that comes uh later to be honest um no, no, absolutely not. Difficult, a difficult period. Uh, call it different, because when I look at my life, Dan, I look at, like, childhood is, is a part of life, and the military, which was 12 years, is a part of my life, and then there's after military. So, like, I tend to split the, And So if you can imagine that in each section of my life there has been trauma uh, of a different right. so, kind. Okay. So in each part of that life, there has been a, a low. A very, very, very big right. So difficult, yes, uh, and not just difficult for me, but difficult for everybody around me. Because you become, uh, and I have to, you know, I have to, I have to be open about this, and it may upset certain people. But you become a very angry, horrible human being. That's about the best that I can describe uh, what I personally became. You, you just, you basically destroy everything around you. Um, you become if anybody know, knows about post traumatic stress disorder, uh, you can, you become emotionally numb. Your body basically your brain part of your brain shuts down and just Um Oh. Um Oh I thought my phone had gone then, sorry. Um Hello?
0: Yeah, yeah, i we can still hear you. Oh. Uh,
1: Simon. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> sorry, my phone <laughs> See, I love the authenticity. Phone my phone there you go down. But, so no, uh,
0: As you're you're sharing about uh, PTSD, uh, I would imagine that if if it's something that someone has not experienced, it would be very difficult to totally understand it. And in your case, it sounds like this was perhaps an additive effect. I mean, things just add up, but they, I mean, it's a cumulative uh, thing personally, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it can be. I mean, it can be difficult when you have it to understand it. never mind trying to which is why I ended up on a path of raising awareness of PTSD, because it can get a very bad rep, especially in America, where, you know, if, uh, for instance, an ex-veteran murders somebody, suddenly it's, oh, it must be PTSD. Not just that he was in a difficult place. Oh, it must be PTSD, which means sometimes people think people with PTSD are killers. Well, I was trained to kill, but I haven't killed anybody, thankfully. I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't be speaking to you now, Dad. But, uh, right no it it's um it has it has a range of symptoms probably 12 13 14 core symptoms uh flashbacks being the worst so you relive the memory you relive what's like a live film going on in front of you it's it can be color you can smell things you can t- you feel like you can touch things uh, Wow. and then yeah and you can get triggers so if i see something on the tv related to for instance i don't know a child in, a child struggling or something like that it can take me straight to that image, uh, and, and yeah, you, you can you can almost touch things. It's it's so very real. And even though for me this is 1993, in that respect of that memory, it can still be like it was yesterday. I I, I can sometimes believe I'm still there. I'm actually wandering around somewhere, and I'm still there. Um, but yeah, there's there's so there's a the depressive side. There's mental shoes. Uh, terrible sleep issues because it's a cycle of deceit because if you have these horrible uh, flashbacks you're still going to get to sleep in fact you don't want to go to sleep because you think you may die and and it's a good point to mention that people say how it looks like i'm up all the time and on all the time well it's not far wrong in some ways it's not a choice that i'm on social media or want to be on 24 hours a day it's the fact that um my sleep is so broken some days, I can't get to sleep until 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. So sure. obviously, uh, with the time differences between America, it could, it could look like all the Brits and Europeans have gone to bed and I'm still going, which is the case, but it's absolutely <laughs> related to the sleep. Uh, my sleep is, can be absolutely terrible. There are days when I have to stay awake for three days to literally knock myself out to, so I will fall asleep somewhere. Um, you know, foot wow. on my bed and hope. You, you just hope some days. But like I said, there are some days where I, I don't think I'm going to be alive the next day. So uh, you don't want to go to sleep. You literally think, I'm going to die. You know, I'm, I'm not going to wake, wake up. And again, that's because I was in a place a number of times where I thought I was going to die. So again, the, my brain is so sensitive now, it, it it's thinking ahead all the time, which is hyper, you become hypersensitive. Um, your brain is looking all the time at threats. Everything is a threat. When there's a bang, it's a threat. When there's a door slams, that's a threat. Uh, a car, noise, that can be a threat. You know, the noise and things like that. Your hearing becomes super sensitive. Uh, you can struggle to show emotion sometimes. Uh, depression, you can turn to alcohol, uh, abuse, what we call abusing alcohol or drugs or both. I, I've, managed, I've never touched drugs. I uh, managed to get off alcohol, having badly abused it um, a few years ago. Um, so it's it's 24 hours a day. and It's not all bad, 24 hours, but um, it, it's difficult. And, and I've had to spend a lot of time learning to manage the worst bits because some days all I can do is manage. All I can do is react a little bit quicker, uh, try to understand, try to educate people around me because I believe it's my responsibility to educate others. If they haven't got PTSD, why should they or you or others suddenly have to understand PTSD? Normally, you don't understand mental health until you've got mental health or somebody you love or care about has got mental health condition. Right. Sure. Um, so I, but my belief is, look, it's up to me to educate other people and, and try and remove the barrier between, the two, between myself and the other person.
0: Well, I, I know that uh, based on your living experience, as, as you've uh, heartfeltly share, sh- shared with us, um, I know you shared in your uh, personal profile history, just you know for the interview, that about 2009, I believe, you really uh, really wanted to campaign uh, the government for change, and uh, you started to run 100 marathons for PTSD awareness starting in 2011 and you'd never run a marathon before take us to that point and then how you turned what you've shared with us openly into something you know to where hey i'm going to see if i can make a difference and this is how i'm going to do it
1: yeah well i guess the way i looked at it was I, i started to work out as i was traveling the world that um, I could have many one-to-one conversations with people about trauma and PTSD, but a lot of people were not willing to speak openly or, or seek help. Even worse, in America, when I met U.S. veterans, uh, they would either only speak to another veteran or military. They couldn't speak to their wives, partners, friends and family. And I, I, mean, I got to thinking, well, you know, not why is not only speaking up, but maybe somebody does need to, you know. And, and also, to be fair, as a man, because... Um, and not wishing to be derogatory towards women because PTSD is equal uh, from all colours, creeds and backgrounds. But on the whole, it's my belief that it can be harder for, you know, men to... I mean, men seem to see it, you know, we're raised that it's... Um, we have to be strong all the time and we shouldn't speak about these things, whereas women on the whole seem to more share it amongst people, even if it's close people, they tend to share it. So I thought, you know... How can can I do something good? I've got this thing. Uh, You know, I need to do something with it. It's like a gift. Even if it's an unwanted gift, it's a gift, and I need to do something with it. So after I'd been to America in 2008 and met some veterans, I came back and, again, was like, okay, um, I want to speak publicly. So uh, my county paper, uh, newspaper, similar to um, the state in America... Ran a story about you know the, the the PTSD kind of thing, and then from there on in, I realised okay, but I want to do more kind of thing, um, and I have made <laughs> some good and I've made mistakes uh, with it coming. Kind of. But it it started a journey of me then going onto social media and and declaring you know you know not in a way of look hey look I'm really proud to have PTSD, but look uh, I want to be able to speak up. About this and I want to be able to do it in the right way, so I had a couple of years where um, you know just on social media I was um, trying to gather groups of people trying to educate people um, and start to build a presence on social media in what's 200910 kind of thing and then in relation to the hundred marathons where that came from, um, obviously I've been running for since I was. Oof, 15 when I ran my first 10 kilometer race with, with with my uncle. Um, so running has been in my life. So it's not completely. Um, I wouldn't want to suggest it's come from a non-running background. I didn't. I didn't just say, look, I'm going to run 100 marathons. I have got. Um, I'm very mentally strong and was physically fit through the military. Um, basically, in the military, you run everywhere. Run, running is just a huge part of the, the UK. Sure. Island.
0: Oh, I can imagine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know run up and down that hill uh, that's what it is so you, so you sort of have core fitness um and running after rehabilitation in the military from injuries running became a part of my life but not above half marathon so half marathon 13.1 miles um 21 and a bit kilometers i think that is um so basically um i had a friend who was uh, wanting to raise some funds for a uk veterans charity and what he was going to do was, there's a park not far from me, and there's a loop which is about five kilometres. It's either just under or just over five kilometres. So, and this is in December 2010. Uh, I didn't think he was a bit nutty, but lots of other people thought he was a bit nutty. But basically, he wanted to run 100 miles in that park within 24 hours to to raise, and purely to raise funds, nothing to do with PTSD, to raise funds. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe me, me. I knew of him through a run that I started in the UK. There's, there's, um, weekly. There's a free five-kilometer run, which is now in America. It's called Park Run, and I'd started one. So this is how I came to know this guy. And he'd asked on Facebook, I think, if people could come along and run a few laps with him. Uh, to oh, that's him cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: But, just a couple but you, but you laps, to... right? He, just a couple <laughs> yeah. laps, he
1: asked, right? It's yeah. So, so, so this is where you might work out what happens then. Uh, so, <laughs> so basically, me being me, uh, which is uh, sometimes silly Simon, as opposed to sensible. Well, let, let
0: me guess. You, 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 you ran more than a couple laps. Is a man uh, close?
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many? So, so basically, I hadn't. So if you can imagine, I'd not ran above 20 miles in my life before this. Yes, I was a good runner, but there's a difference between being a good runner and running for 24 hours, very different. And right. the thing is, I need to put a disclaimer here, down because I do not want anyone to try and do what I'm now going to tell you. Because it's okay. <laughs> this is, <laughs> an a, this is, a, is
0: an official disclaimer, right?
1: <laughs> this is an official disclaimer. Unless you are me. Uh, and sometimes I'm mad and, and, and even the doctor, obviously remember I have a certificate that says I'm mad so that's okay uh, and oh, physios and doctors have given up trying to, trying to say to me look go and be sensible Simon uh, but again it's not, it is not right unless you are very very strong and have the background and knowledge to just suddenly turn up and do what I did so uh, I said to this guy I'll run a couple of laps with you Uh, I thought, okay, maybe I can run 10 miles with him and have a chat kind of thing. And uh, I remember December, it was minus five. So I don't know what that is in American currency. Uh, Cold, very cold. It wasn't snowing at the time. Utterly cold. So I'm all covered up as well, head to toe. And I I normally don't like to be covered up head to toe. Um, Started to run a couple of laps and was like, oh, okay, this is cool. Um, Before I'd known it, I'd run 11, 12 miles. And I felt absolutely fine. I had a little bit to eat, walked around. Other well, the people started to come along and do some laps. They were talking to me. Before I'd known it, I'd carried on. So I, before I'd known it, I'd run 20 miles. I was like, oh, oh look, I'm, I'm nearing a, a, a PB here for distance. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I'm close to a marathon. I've never run marathon distance in my life. I've oh, fast, yeah. Like, hmm. Wow. I refused to run marathon distance in my lifetime. But here we go. Uh, right next target i 'm going to go for the marathon runs the, getting close to the marathon, someone says, but well, you 're going to be here all night Simon. and i 'm like ha, 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 oh, yes, okay, uh, Anyway, so uh goes past marathon distance, and then i 'm like yeah this this is this is pretty cool i 'm doing fine, so i 've done no training for this, and i 've just turned up this that 's amazing yeah, uh, so my brain was now oh how, how far can I go with this kind of thing it wasn 't really about this guy anymore now. It was it became a little bit about me. Me sure and and, and the issue with me in the past is Dal. and this is this is my calling my non authentic or troubled side of my life. I, I've often tried to beat myself um to prove a point to myself because of you know That's the fear true. of failure. The fear of failure and what my mum said has been a huge uh negative driver in my life. So in my head I had this don't quit Simon, don't quit. Now again the place I'm at now, Dan, I would never have never have done it because I could have I could have seriously injured myself, and this is hence my disclaimer. Um, right. But anyway, I, to, I so I then tootles past fifty kilometres, which is uh, what about thirty one, thirty two miles, uh, and I think I've been running maybe for oh maybe five five six hours, somewhere between five and six hours, I think. Um, and I'm into completely unknown territory. And Now my head is just, you know, carry on. I have a little bit more to eat. I have some soup. And there's people bringing food and all sorts. And and they're now turning up saying, "You're gonna you're gonna go through the whole thing, aren't you, Simon? And I'm no no no, don't be silly. I'm just I'm just helping. My, you know, I'm just here with this guy. A little sure. a uh, so then we go past 40 miles. Then we go past 50 miles. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> then we go past 60 miles. 70 miles at 70 miles the temperature is now minus seven or minus eight and it's snowing and when I say snowing it, it It's starting to become very slippy on this on this. This uh, is,
0: this is uh, amazingly crazy
1: yeah, it, it's uh-huh. Absolutely, and I'll just keep putting that disclaimer. Please do not try this at home children <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So um, I'm now thinking Right, I I, can, I mean, I could do this. I could run for 24 hours, having not trained and just turned up, and I'm still in the same clothing that I turned up what this must be 12, 13 hours earlier. Um, now obviously, unbelievable. You are
0: not,
1: yeah, you, you are, you're not running the whole thing. It's almost impossible even for a professional athlete to do that. Even they have tiny stops, maybe a minute, and they have power naps as well. Uh, but I didn't sleep. I, I didn't come off the path at all. I walked. So Really? Um, yeah. So on each 5K lap, be somebody there was some of the other food. I'd grab a little bit of food. I'd walk a little bit, and then I'd get going. And now I was starting to really seize up and get cold. So I kept moving because I didn't want to stop because that, is, that can be dangerous to just, you know, when your heart is up there for so many hours and you just stop, that can be quick. That can be... You know, you, you can die with that kind of thing. So I'm like, okay. So I get to uh, 74, 75 miles, by which time there's snow everywhere now and wind. The people <laughs> who are supporting us are now going blue in the face because I'm oh my- like, the head is flat there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, the- yeah, I can do that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, this, this is the equivalent of three mar- almost three marathons at this point, yeah. if, I'm, if my math is correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah, with no with no training, and just turning up. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, by which time I, I am now shuffling almost round. I mean, literally, uh, in a lot of in a lot of pain. But my head's still here. Yeah, let's carry on, come, But my body's five miles back down the road, and I'm and I'm having this battle in my head of stop, stop. To me, at that time in my life, down meant quit. Quit meant failure. Failure meant My mum. So I was like, no. And again, I just want to say to people who listen, it's not great to put yourself in that position. I was driven by fear, whereas I'm not driven by fear anymore. I'm driven by love, which is completely different. Um, I carried on for a couple of laps, and then me and this guy said, "Look, this is getting rather silly now. You know, it's not. It's not proving anything good. Somebody could become hurt." And so basically, I got to 81 miles in 17 hours. And if you can remember, my, my longest run ever in my life, and this was 2010 to, what, seven years ago, so I would have been, what, 38, had uh, been 20 miles with training as well. Right. This was with no training. No training, minus seven, snowing, probably one of the worst days uh, for, for weather in the UK, going round and round like a, I don't know, a gerbil, uh, <laughs> round and round with salt. <laughs> With, with, with no change of scenery and just going round and round to almost to, to oblivion. I mean, I, I don't think I knew what day it was uh, when I, you know, when I, when I finished carning. When I stopped, I, I, I couldn't move. It was uh, it was terrible. Um, and now here is why the disclaimer comes in because eventually my, uh, my partner at the time took me home. Then I started to go into a tiny little bit of shock. Um, ended up in hospital where they had to put if I remember rightly, six or seven bags of saline into there. So basically they said that the, uh, it was showing that I was having a heart attack, but it wasn't. I didn't have a heart attack. No, no. Okay. The, the issue was is my org, when you go past a certain point as an ultra runner, you, your organs start to give out weird signals and signs. Um, they think that something's happening when it's not, so your heart thinks, what is going on here? Which it probably would do if you'd been wandering around for 17 hours kind of thing right? Um, but, but I wasn't and again that's why there's disclaimer it, when I look at it with hindsight now Dan did it prove a point to myself yes, was it clever no it wasn't at all and I, I would not absolutely, I would not it, you, you, it's probably put it into context of where was I at that time in my life when I was in a very bad place so from that very bad place I managed to, to you know to wander around so the marathons, where does that come well I'm sitting in the hospital bed and literally in my city, there was there was uh, doctors coming from all over the place because they'd never seen anybody go that distance, and they'd never seen the test results. Basically, all the results are saying this guy's dead. Uh, and I'm just sitting there in bed. If you can imagine, laughing, <laughs> going, "Well, I'm obviously not dead. This is very serious, <laughs> <cruel, isn't laughs> man. This is very serious. You could have died." I kept saying, "But I'm not dead." I'm absolutely, I feel <laughs> fine. I'm okay. you yeah, beep, yeah, beeps and bleeps and machining all around me. And I'm like, hey, hey, this is cool. Uh, and one of the most senior um, uh, consultants turns up and says, "It's no laughing matter, you know, young man, no laughing matter at all. And I'm just laughing at him, kind of thing. You could have died. I said, yeah, but I didn't. He says, well, what are you going to do after this? And I said, I, I don't know. So um, I didn't have any paper or anything like that. I asked somebody for a scrap of paper, got a pen, and I just wrote down 100 marathons. That was it. And that when I said, well, where do you go from there? What can you wow. do wow. after that? So I was like, okay, I will run 100 marathons um, to, put, you know, to, to now raise awareness. Because, you know, the thing is, we call PTSD or mental health the unseen illness. You know, me, people wouldn't have a, probably have a clue. Uh, unless they spent a, le- a length of time with me. I, I speak well, I sound I can, well. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so so it, the thing was by running, by doing these marathons and running the marathons, it, it enabled me to talk about it because people would go, oh, why are you doing that? Oh, raising awareness of PTSD. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's this. Oh, I wouldn't have known, Simon, which is exactly the point. Exactly the point was I wanted to turn people's scepticism and lack of education into, look, uh, my passion is running. I've got a passion for raising awareness and travel. So, look, I can combine all of these things by um, doing this um, nutty thing. So if it wasn't nutty enough that, um, you know, I'd done this um, <laughs> 81 miles in 17 hours kind of thing, where, where obviously, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's good and bad things that come out of that. Mentally, I, I probably showed where a person could go. Which is sort of a good thing, but again, the downside was it came from a very, very bad place. Down at the end of the day, it came from you know, driven by negativity and failure. Um,
0: so can can on... I ask you, can I ask you, Simon, what did you through that experience? What type of things did you learn about
1: yourself? I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, um, well resilience is a key word nowadays um, in the business world. It's a great and word. Where, it's a great you word. Know, what did I find out? I was I was resilient. that I could overcome, I could switch off them signals to my body, which was saying this is impossible and you shouldn't do it. And, you know, and, and I overcame. I overcame so, you know, so much in that period of time. But I also learned, uh, well, I didn't learn at the time. I've learned now. At the time, I didn't learn um, that it was, you know, an acceptance of responsibility that it was, it was stupid. That's the, that's the best word I can use for it. Uh, that's what I learned, that, um, yes, it's good to push oneself in life sometimes, but I think there's a line, there's a fine line. And if I can remember, the consultant said to me, there is a fine line between bravery and stupidity, Simon, and you're treading it very finely. And, and it's absolutely right, because some would say it was brave, some would say it was stupid. At the time, I would have said it was brave. Looking at it now, from my belief system now, I would say it's stupid. Uh, I, 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 you know, I can't condone it because you know I could have died. It's as simple as that, Dan. I could have died, um, and I'm, right. I'm glad that now. I'm not in that. Pl- I'm glad that I don't come from that place now, and, and I would not just turn up somewhere nowadays uh, and you know, do that kind of thing. Absolutely, I'm driven. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely driven with a passion. Uh, I'm a passion.
0: Yeah, and you've learned that you can go beyond if need be, which uh, that's a great quality. So let's fast forward. In the hospital, you wrote down uh, on a small piece of paper, 100 marathons. Where are you towards that goal now, especially combined with raising awareness uh, for PTSD? So in
1: Feb 2011, I started my goal was to run 100 marathons in 100 weeks. So that was my goal. Uh, and wow. at the time, I had very little money. Um, I was basically what we call in UK a war pensioner or a veteran. So I wasn't working due to, um, due to long-term illness. Um, I had very little money, uh, very little training, um, although my brain was pretty switched on. And, and like I said, I had, re- I had resilience. Um, so I just signed up for, I think initially I signed up for ten eleven. Uh, one a week in the UK, all over the UK. Sadly, it's not as big as America, or so I really would have been stuck driving everywhere. Um, and my first, when did it start? Maybe 3rd or 4th of Feb 2011, something like that. So my first marathon was not a marathon. It was 50 miles, which is an marathon. Ah, cool. <laughs> so again, instead of going in there easy, uh, when I say easy, running a marathon, I've now gone in for a 50 miler. <laughs> Hence a oh, it sounds, sounds like
0: you were uh, still maybe uh, right on that line between bravery and stupidity, perhaps. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah.
1: yes. Yeah. I, I think stupidity <laughs> overrode sensibility on that day. But, um, you know, at the time in 2011, there was only a limited number of, there's a hell of a lot more marathons in the UK now and ultra marathons. But just to explain to people, a marathon is, is 26.2 miles or 42 kilometers Three hundred eighty-five or six yards. I should know this having run a few, but um, but I can't remember. Uh, an ultra marathon in the ultramarathon in the ultra marathon running world is considered to be uh, fifty kilometres and above. So there's a bit of a strange okay. one because there's a gap in between. But in the ultra world, if you ran fifty kilometres or above, you're then an ultra runner. So fifty miles, obviously, is just a little bit beyond that. Um, and that was running the te- length of the uh, running down the Thames. The Thames River goes. Um, a long, long way into London and through London um, and um, that's that's where I started. I remember because I couldn't even get my legs in and out of the car. Somebody had to swing my legs out of the car. I was that bad, Dan. Um, and um, <laughs> I've got the map reading skills of a, I don't know, somebody who's not very good at reading a map. No sat-nav in 2011 or anything like that. It was a piece of paper and a map and a general go-in-that-direction kind of thing. So that that set me up for the the first one and then basically every week after that i've ran uh, a marathon up to so from february all the way up to december i think it was when i went to romania so basically um am then pain so as well people talk about the physical aspects of that and yeah the physical aspects are big but your body starts to condition itself because it becomes marathon fit so you, you don't actually have to do anything during the week. You just do very small runs because your body and your legs are okay. uh, a marathon fit. So this may seem simple to people out there. It's not. I don't want to say it's simple because it's, uh, it's not. And, again, my learning is I used to just say to people, yeah, I'm running a marathon week, like it was running two feet. Uh, when it isn't, uh, you will understand because at the moment with your uh, you know, attempt to walk six million steps, it's difficult at the end of the day. It was as difficult for me, sure. but, I, but I tended to sort of laugh it off kind of thing, which, again, is not – I don't think it's the best now. Um, I think it's best to talk about it in that, the actual struggles. So there's the physical struggles, but then people forget there's the pain for the marathons. So let's say in the U.K., your average marathon will cost around $70, something like that. Then you've got uh, gas, petrol, as we call it in the U.K., You've got the extra food and nutrition. You've got extra clothing because you're going to more clothing. So it's not just the physical, it's the finance. It's the financial side. Sure, One, it can be
0: costly. Getting,
1: yeah, getting in the car, driving two, three hundred miles, which again in the UK, that's a, long, that's a long way in the UK, on smaller roads, harder to get to A to B, at a much slower pace. So uh, normally I could drive between two to five hours to get to a marathon. I'd then run for four hours, and within an hour, I'd be back in the car, driving that four or five miles back myself. So, you know, no glorious, no, no, no physio waiting for my leg, none of that. This is me. This is me turning up with my kit, running, driving, to the point where when I used to drive back home at the, the motorway, as we call it, the freeway, um, I'd be screaming in the car. And, and I'm sure people could hear me as I was driving home. They'd be looking at me funny. Because I'd be moved, I couldn't sit still. I'd be moving around all over the place because of the pain. And if anyone's ever ran a marathon, when you sit down, you can't get back up again. You, you-, you quads, you-, you just do not move. A bit like me after the bike yesterday. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's not just the, the the actual physical nature of this thing. It's the the financial burden, the you know, the extra training, the nutrition. The maintaining your body because your body just degrades you you cannot keep your body in 100 percent because you protein you can't get enough into your body uh i'm not a professional athlete i'm just a guy who's trying to do a good thing he's got very little money and he's self supporting himself to these you know once a week uh, so basically uh for two three days after the marathon so you get what's called the marathon high so for a day or two you're like wow this is really cool and Look at my medal and my T-shirt. You put pictures everywhere. Everybody applauds you. Everybody goes, wow, that's cool. And then you have a that you have a drop. It's like a lemon going off the end of a cliff. You just drop off the cliff. Really? To, death, to really dark places like, oh, gosh, the pain kicks in. The, the you know, Why am I doing this? All of this negativity comes out of nowhere. And then Thursday, Friday, oh, we're getting ready for another one again. Awesome. Then you go up, and it's, it's such a roller coaster of, Ups and downs of emotions, questions yes, all. Yes, I can imagine time. that. Yeah. So I did that for forty-seven weeks out of the year uh, before it became very quite ill um, again. Well, I was—if you can imagine—I'm still dealing with physical and mental issues that are huge every day. So right. there will be some days where um, I would have I would have had three hours sleep. On no sleep, I've turned up to marathon, down, no sleep, got in the car. And again, disclaimer, not clever to really driving in a car when you've not had sleep. Uh, again, I'm not in the same place now that I was then, 2011, 12, 13. Um, right. But yeah, I, I would turn up having not eaten, not hydrated correctly, uh, tired, and, and we'd still imagine. Now, again, some people are going to say, well, wow, that's, that's amazing. But again, the place I'm at now, I would not advise anybody to do that. If you want to, hear, if you want to write a book, Dan, about how not to run a marathon, then I, I'll write that
0: book. <laughs> okay.
1: so, so, so don't come to me for advice on how to run a marathon because I'd say, look, you know, don't have much sleep. Turn up in absolute uh, bad order, as we call it, uh, and, and you'll be fine, which is not really the truth. So, again, I've had to... In my life, I've had to become sensible at how I you know discuss marathon running. I've coached people, and I do not ever coach them to what I did. But it's like adding up where I was at the time, in a very, very dark place in my life, fueled by anger, fueled by the past, fueled by a fit of failure, fueled by everything that my life down was negative. Yet, I was still able to get out of my bed on a Sunday morning at three, four, five o'clock in the morning, get in the car. You know, run this marathon, uh, get back in the car, and, and get home, and do that for a year. You know that that alone for a year. So um, it, it's a bit of a it's a bit, it, sound like, it can sound a bit of a strange thing because it was yes it, it was a huge thing yes it was pushing the boundaries and created a lot of interest and awareness of PTSD. But I'm now looking I'm now talking to you, but looking back, and um, the the Simon of now, a bit like anchor. Simon version two um, is not Simon there you version one. Yeah, I like and that. I That's...
0: Yeah. See, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and version 3.0, version 3.0 is in the works too. Oh, we keep upgrading every,
1: every. Well, with me every day, I'm I'm looking for the upgrade every day. I'm I'm looking to learn. See, this is this is the difference of where I am now, Dan, because uh, I used to think I knew it all. I became, you know, a very well known public figure in the UK uh, and, and start to get carried away with the hype which is ultimately a downfall uh, whereas now you know I've turned to humility because and this is why when I talk about the community this is why I want to stress that I have no belief that I'm better than anybody else I'm the better version of me and that makes me happy because every day and, and even this is on anchor I learn from you I learned from I mean there's so many names that I could saying, Miss Eileen, who you've just, you just had on recently, I learned from her. I would like to think we all learn from each other, but every day oh, I make it a thing. Absolutely. Yes, every day I make it a thing that I, I should learn something. And if that comes from a three-year-old child, that's great. If it comes from a 96-year-old man or woman, I will you know I will learn. I read every day. I, I read something on the internet. I'll read an, a book or something like that. I listen to people. And that's how i probably managed to transition from one of the worst places uh, a person could maybe be to the version now. And, and it's hard to get that across because of the depth that I got to. I mean, I got to a point, uh, Dan, where in the UK, we've got something called sectioning. So we have the Mental Health Act in the UK. Now, if, somebody, if the police or mental health services believe you are at harm to yourself, they have a, a legal order where they can remove you and put you into a hospital. Um, and so oh, okay. uh, In, th- in two thousand six that's what happened to me. I I was sectioned um uh, under the Mental Health Act. Uh again, was that a worst point in my life? No. <laughs> believe it or not. That that wasn't the worst point either. There's been lots of uh, what it's hard to it's hard to say. I mean I I'm in a different place now, Dan so I I, I don't want to be dismissive because I'm in a good place now, but Let's just say that the majority of my life has been lived in fear, anger, upset, and I think the people like yourself and others that have got to know me on Anchor now, I, I deliberately talk about all the time the opposite of where I was because I can. So when I talk about even that's bullying, great, yeah. So I, when I talk about bullying, for, and this is just to try to show people, or if they can hear where I've been. The reason why I talk about these subjects is because I've probably done both, and. The reason why I'm open is because I've accepted and taken responsibility. So I was bullied um, as a child. I was bullied and in effect I bullied. So, I, I, you know, it, and this is learned behavior. And this is the bits where when I go on anchor, when I say I'm raw, normally when I talk about a subject is because probably either it happened to me or I've done it myself. Um, and that's the bad side. That's the learned behavior where I've been. So, My authenticity comes. I'm not just saying, for instance, look, I've had a hard life. I've been bullied. I've had abuse. Often, I've done exactly the same myself. And that's why I say it's my raw and uncut journey. Because I like to admit, uh, Dan, I don't like to just sit there and be the victim and say, look, everybody came to hurt me. I've absolutely hurt a lot of people in my life. And I've been in that very dark you know, place. The difference is, is that I got to a point where I took responsibility and the great thing for me on Anchor is like I said, all these things have happened to me I have done some things that are absolutely very wrong terrible, bad you know, kind of thing and so if people may appreciate that, you know, when people say a leper can't change its spots, well I'm living proof that you can because I'm not in the place that I was so my journey when I yes. speak about it I'm always relating to probably the fact. So when I call out, for instance, if I call out a bully, dam, it's because I've been bullied. It's because I've bullied. So you know, I know how it feels to be bullied, and I now understand how it feels like when you bully somebody. So when I when I talk about the subject, I tend to say to people, "Look, I've seen I've seen both sides of the coin." That's my authenticity. Now I wish more people would be truthful when. You know, they talk about things and the fact that have they done it themselves as well? Uh, That's I don't hear a lot in that respect. But, you know, I'm opening myself up to say, look, um, I've been a good person with a good heart who did some wrong things, that I needed to take responsibility for them things and, and I needed to, you know, basically change my life. And so ultimately for me, when I speak on Anchor Now!, I'm always trying to come from a place of love. I'm always trying to come from that good place. It's not right. made up. It's absolutely the opposite. Every time now, I try, I'm moving towards the opposite to where I've been. So I was in a negative place for probably the first 42 years or 45 years of my life. And that's where I've turned my life around. So Anchor for me, it, what people are hearing when they say authentic, and this, I, I say to them, but you know what? I have been the most unauthentic person and that's why I can now be truly authentic because I've been the other side. I've had, you know, when people are going at about large social media following and YouTubers, I've had that. I've had, I had a following over a hundred thousand and, and all that went with it. And ultimately I made huge, huge mistakes. Uh, But I like to think that I've got to a place down where I stopped blaming people and, have taken responsibility and you know my view now is if I hurt someone and that's you know that's been my choice nobody's put a gun to my head what happened to me in the past does not dictate how I act with people today you know I, I like to treat people with respect even if I'm not treated with respect nowadays I my choice is look every time I go on anchor and I push that red button if I'm not coming from a good place if I can't say good things and that doesn't mean that I'm not struggling. But if I can't speak well of somebody, then I don't, I don't push the button. I come off. I've recorded sometimes. I've deleted it. I've come off. And now, maybe when you hear me talk about anchor tips, social media tips, life tips, you'll probably start to understand that I'm actually talking from my own life. I'm not talking from a book. I'm talking I've been there and I have done it.
0: Well, and I just appreciate Knowing more about you and uh, i i you know just to, to share openly like you have in this interview uh it it just gives a perspective that you now are are transformed and it's been a journey we we all have our own personal journey, and if we learn along the way and we're willing to uh change uh, learn and grow. Then we can get always to a better place, and then when we look back, and then we start reaching out to others. That's mm. where it it opens up a whole new aspect of life,
1: doesn't it? Yeah, and I guess I guess for me, um, and just to update, and when I say as much as I can, uh, this is because I'm limited at the moment because because of the work that I do in the UK and the fact that it's some of it's public and national. There's only certain parts I could talk about. In the future, I'll come back then, and I will do another interview with you, where I could be more open uh, because of certain restrictions placed on me. And the way to explain is, so if you can imagine that um, I'd, lived, I'd lived, for a number of years, I'd lived a, a life of fear and um, created like a social media profile in life. Now, to this day, um, I would have believed at the time that everything was right and correct and nobody could tell me anything. Nothing was wrong when it absolutely was. And again, there are two sides to social media. Um, I became uh, a personality or or well-known in the UK probably because of social media, because of the awareness raising, you you start to come to your attention. I think the issue with social media is if you've not come through that, if you're not used to being a public figure, you know, there's lots of good comes and there's lots of hate. You know, there's, there's good sides and bad sides with social media. Um, I'm sure. hopeful that that doesn't, that doesn't arrive to anchor that we can retain the, the positive community, you know, that it is. And, and I will try to drive that positive community as well, as you will, and as uh, a number of us want to retain that community. But I, I befell, you know, I started to react um, you know, suddenly I'm, I'm thrust into the public life with no, tr- with no training and, and, again, all that kind of thing. And suddenly, you know, like I said, when the good comes down, it's great. When people are coming up to you at runs and saying, well done, I know you, that's great. But then the haters arrive as well and the people that are just dismissive and coming from a difficult place. And I was never built, you know, if you can imagine my background, I was never built to deal with, these people, hence why when I talk about social media, I talk about the mistakes I made, uh, you know, I reacted uh, right. I never trolled anybody on social media, but I reacted to these people Publi- and then I forgot hold a minute, there's a million people me, <laughs> but, but that's okay I'll, I'll just call them names or something like that and oh dear, <laughs> whoops and then, and then for instance something appeared in a national paper in the UK read by 3-4 million people and then you're like, oh dear but I only just said, but I only said this, but I only said that. And then it gets interpreted in completely the wrong way. And that's when I was like, oh, dear. I'm now not just Simon doing a few races. I'm now nationally known in the UK. And things that I'm saying are now under scrutiny. You know, and, and, and hence, I changed my personality, which, was, which now I can see was wrong. So now on social media, I'm exactly the happy, fun person that I always wanted to be. Uh, but again, you get swayed by the public. Uh, I'm not suggesting the same in America, but in the UK, the media will build you up and then they can destroy you within seconds. You can hit the top. Oh, I, can, I can imagine. Yeah, the media can just completely destroy you. So, again, a very dark period of my life. So, I, I don't know what the top is, but I became very well known in the UK. Let's say I was the most well known person in the UK when it came to discussing. PTSD and mental health as a man. Um, there I am. I get carried away um, with uh, with things, um, and so this is basically what happened. And this is to do with uh, the darkest part. So you asked me, you asked me what was the lowest point of my life. Well, I can tell you the lowest point of my life, Dan, and I remember the date well because it will remain me forever. Was the seventh of November last year when I was in uh, court and the judge. Uh his hammer down i 'm not sure if they do this in America Bang his hammered down and said you 're going down, which, mean, which meant I was going to prison. Um, now again, for the moment i 'm restricted slightly as to exactly how much I can say, but I will say as much as I can in the interest of authenticity um, so, be- so sure. basically uh, in what two thousand and fourteen uh, i 've was in a very 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 difficult place in my life i thought i was and this is this is around psychological issues this is not around uh money or criminality this is i've never been involved in criminality in my life this was related to a an ex-partner um and basically i lied to my ex-partner which then went to somebody else which then went in the national newspaper and then became very public uh knowledge um and so you know when i discuss my raw and uncut journey this unfortunately is the next chapter or has been the next chapter of my journey and again why i'm rehabilitating why i'm repairing and you know the the thing to say dan is the best thing that probably could have happened to me where i was at the time was that i went to prison because i think i was like so tunnel visioned my life was so spiraled out of control. Then I I didn't listen to anybody, and I was like, "Yeah, but I've got this huge following, and I'm well known." And and that was the downfall. In the the day, the downfall was I see um, not listening to people and being, you know, being in that place. Um, So um, yeah. So the thing to say is um, it wasn't a bad thing totally. In some ways, that I had the time, and this is where my authenticity comes because. I'm a firm believer that if a person commits a crime, then they should pay for that somehow. Uh, I don't want to go into long debates about the UK legal system because it's it can be a bit strange sometimes. But, um, you know, there's an acceptance from me at the end of the day. If you commit a crime, then something should happen with that, and, and absolutely that is what has, what has happened. Hence why I'm at a point in my life now where... Um, all of them things that happened to me, throughout all that past is the is the day that I took responsibility. So the, I wrote to the judge and I said I take full responsibility for what I have done. I apologise to anyone who's been hurt, but from that point I drew a line and said, there you go. So when we relate it to Anchor Down one and one and two, version one was buried on that day, and version two started, and um, hence why. I've tried to use the time uh, to educate myself and to clearly look at myself, and I had to, I had to look at myself very, very, very hard, and uh, yeah, and, and and say, look, you know, there's no need to be that person. This person's absolutely fine. You're doing fine, absolutely fine, as I was at the time, um, and hence why now I mention I mention bits and pieces about. You know, so I was injured whilst I was in prison, whilst I was in custody. That's the injury to my arm and my shoulder. That's the reason why I haven't been able to run for eight, nine months. Um, and, and obviously, I'm in a period of time now where, where I'm, I don't know what to call it, repairing, repairing a whole lifetime, I guess. And that's um, that's the point that I'm at. So that was the darkest, I don't, I don't know actually, the darkest part of my life, but also... Strangely, the point, where I have to, the point where I knew I had to move on, I think.
0: I, I uh, just thank you for, for sharing uh, because I know people who listen to this interview are going to be blessed uh, of you being so open and honest about sharing your journey, your ups and downs, your roller coaster. Your, it's a he- been a healing journey, and I know that myself and many others will be able to identify learn from that, and uh, it's healing to just hear someone be open and honest about what they've gone through. And, uh, you know, we're right there with you, and uh, you are inspiring, uh, Simon. I just can't thank you enough for sharing, and then what you do for the Anchor community. Uh, Wow. I mean, just the perspective is amazing. Uh, Now, having heard more about uh, your journey.
1: Well, it, uh, this is the thing that maybe, maybe now it, it, you know, because obviously it's hard for me to, I have to do little bits and pieces. I'm not huge on long podcasts. I could do five hours easily done on, on <laughs> my journey kind of thing. Uh, and maybe one, you know, I've been asked to write a book, but at the moment it's not something that I want to do. Um, there, there will be a piece coming up uh, nationally in the UK, which will go on TV and that will explain some things further. That will be a part of my healing journey. Um, Great. And and I know that journalists and me said, look, Simon, you have been through the mill. Why are you so still so passionate? Why is that drive still there? And you will have heard the bits and pieces of stories. I was burgled whilst I was in custody. I've lost almost everything. And it's it's and you know the thing is, to me Dan, it's not about. I'm not a victim. Uh, some people may say it's deserving, but the most people who have come to me and know have said it's absolutely not deserving. But I've lost almost everything. But you know what, Dan? I'm rich because I can smile each day because I'm, I'm not believable. in that fear. You know, so the, the fact that, you know, today, before I spoke to you, I was writing about how I'd lost all my marathon medals to a gentleman who lives below me, who I know he stole them because my neighbors told me. And yet I'm not angry, Dan. The, you know, the journalist said to me, who, who's written this piece on me, there's no anger, Simon. And I said, no, I've had I've lived in anger all of my life. So I think what people would appreciate is when I speak from my heart, Dan, and I, I don't want to get too, too upset. Uh, if you ask Kelly Miller Bella, I, I was in tears speaking, speaking to her of how open I was. But, you know, what I want to say to it is is, look, um, I'm not a victim. Uh, you know, for instance, I committed a crime I was dealt with i 've done my time i 've suffered badly in a way, and have paid a heavy price for all uh, and for all the good so i 'm a, a good person, a very good person who was left in a place who felt I had no choice, committed a crime, have paid for that uh, that 's the honesty from me because i don 't need to i don 't need to mention' or talk about it. but it 's part of my part of my authenticity Dan is that you know, good people can get to this place. Good people with so much good meaning can get to that place. And, and probably it's a, it's a very clear, looking at it now, it's a very clear journey for me that that's where I would, you know, I would end up. So what I'm trying to say is when you and others hear my segments now, you will understand where it's coming from. You will understand the authenticity because I, absolutely without, without blowing the trumpet down, I am authentic. As in, I am truly, when I speak these words on there, it's coming from my heart. So I've had to move one of the biggest journeys of anybody from a place of absolute fear, hatred, anger, all the negative things about a person, Dan. And when, you know, it's not a a fake thing for me, Dan. When I send out the love to people, when I call into you and I say, well done, that's coming from a place of love, Dan. I don't need to know you to send that down. I I just do it, not because it gets engagement, not because someone's going to say, well done. I don't need any of that because I've now got self-worth done. All of my stuff in the past was because I didn't have self-worth, because I didn't feel loved. Now I love myself. So when I call into you, I just sit down and go, well, it's going to take me three seconds to say, well done to Dan. Because, again, you'll understand a bit of my journey now of, of how much I've overcome to get to that place where I did that long run. You are in the same place, in a way, where I am. So I have an idea of how difficult it is for you. And people will probably not appreciate how difficult it is. So when I speak to you, I speak from a place of admiration. That's why when I say to you, Dan, you are an equal. The equality comes from you are overcoming things to do something big in your life. I overcame something big. It's not about how far I ran and how far you're gonna walk. The reason why right. I can say we're equal is because we are equals, because you are doing something for the greater good, be it with Anchor, be it with your own life. That's exactly the place that I'm at. Everything I can tell you now, everything I do with Anchor now has no gain for me. It's, it's pure, I'm in, in, in such a good place now, Dan, that I feel like I can go on to Anchor and say, look, I did this, I did that, I've done wrong, I've done good, and, and, you know, you will now know yourself, the amount of people that have come to me and said, you are so authentic, which in a way, I accept it. But it's hilarious because I was so dis I was the opposite side, Dan. I was not authentic. So I've, that tells me I've traveled a huge journey. I mean, that tells me I've gone around the world five times on this journey. And so I guess that's what I get. Um, it's not about judgment, but I allow people on anchor to decide about me. Uh, if they don't like it that's cool i'm in a place where i don't mind that if people want to judge me i'm absolutely accepting of that as well because there is there is going to be um judgment there at the end of the day because of you know i've been in a bad uh place kind of thing but maybe now people can more understand where in my heart this comes from because i didn't have a heart well i did but uh <laughs> metaphorically i didn't and so when I send all the hearts and the love and and, and that to people, on one, uh, it, it's true. It has to come from my heart, Dan. It's not done for any reason other than I truly enjoy. It's like when I hear Jesse playing the guitar. I've got no huge interest in guitar playing, but it's a skill and an art form, and so I want to say, well done, Jesse. Because sure, you know, oh, because he's, I, he's always a really well done. Yeah. When I yes. speak to Eileen, and, and, I, and I call Eileen the Queen, it's because I, be, I believe that she's so helpful. We laugh when we joke about these things, but, you know, and I, I tend to put, you'll hear me, I, I'd lost my sense of humour, Dan. I'd lost a lot of humour. And, and, and somebody came to me yesterday and said, what's great about me is not only am I authentic and raw, but I'm I'm funny. Now, ten years ago, no one had heard that humour because I was a <laughs> so You know, so, there's, well, there's, I... you know, I'm dealing with some difficult things, but I absolutely love having. I love the fact that on anchor, I can be serious when I need to discuss mental health. That's a serious topic, not something I want to laugh about. But my other right. side of my personality is, I love doing wind, We call them wind ups in, in, in the UK. I love doing these silly call-ins and <laughs> snaps and, and and yeah. I mean, I, I'm probably I'm probably as well known on an anchor now for the silliness as I am the the good. But I mean, to me, that's authentic, Dan, because. If I was just one, if I was just a serious mental health campaigner, that's one side to my character. You you will know with you, you're not just Dan who does one thing on there. You are Dan who has multiple bits of his character. And, and I hear multiple bits of your sure. character. I am more bits of other people. So for me, authenticity is you want to hear all bits. Like with me, you want to hear the sadness sometimes, the struggles, the you know, you know, the hard times, but at the same time, sharing the and the knowledge and the, you know, the, the the good kind of thing. So it's great for me to be able to be in that place where when I'm coming out with these tips, it, they're not coming from a book or anybody else, Dan. They're, coming, they're truly coming from what, my life. And if you can imagine with you today, I've condensed about 100 times I've condensed my life to make it easier for us, for us on here. You know, it doesn't explain... Um, all of the ins and outs and the depths. But it, you know, and like I said, I don't want to come across as, I don't want people to feel sorry for me in the day. And I, if people want to admire the journey that I've overcome, that's that's fine. But I'm not looking for, you know, the, the, the sort of the attention of, oh my God, I feel so sorry for you, Simon. I don't feel sorry for myself. And people always say, would I change anything? Absolutely, I wouldn't at the end of the day because. If I had not have gone through that trauma, Dan, I wouldn't be speaking to you now. There's there's no right. there's, there's absolutely no way. Sure. Um, my voice, my voice was a bit strangled for most of my life, and again, the fact that I'm able to speak up on anchor, uh, I don't wish to be a voice for people, but I'm told I am becoming a voice for people. I'm told that I'm a voice for anchor, not my choice, but I'm not going to deny you know what other people think. I, I probably am a leader of. Of people in some ways and that you know is, is very humbling um, but my overriding thing and I don't think there's any right or wrong with anchor we all use it for slightly different ways I'm not there to chase top 20s I laugh about the top 20 because I'm interested in the algorithm uh, it's not a goal of mine down to, to hit number one I would say if I was voted by my peers to be number one I'd accept the vote of my peers I think that would be a better way to do it. My peers say, well done, Simon. I'm absolutely, for every call in I get done, every single, I think mean, every time you call into me and you say, thank you, I call you back. I'm absolutely humbled by every single, and to be fair, to put it into context, in the media work that I've done since I started speaking publicly, I've been seen by around 60, 70 million people through media and TV. And yet, to me, it's more important to get that one calling from you or somebody else on anchor because that is authentic. The media world is is not very authentic. It's very fickle following. Whereas your call ins and many other people I'm not gonna names I'm not gonna mention to embarrass them. When them call ins come and they say, you are I can see you're moving on in your life Simon, I can see it's authentic. I can hear it in your voice. I can see your heart. And right. it's not just that, one, but the love That you know i've been in tears two or three times uh literally on anchor from the messages that i've got from people saying i know you're struggling simon and i'm sending you love carmen and i've been bowled over literally when i think i'm this big tough guy sometimes wow yes that's the thing i'm not i'm not i'm not some big well i'm six foot two i'm an ex-soldier i've been through tough times but but i'm the great thing on anchor is I'm not I'm not that big tough guy I'm am absolutely opposite I'm 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 absolutely like a cuddly teddy bear uh, and the great thing on anchor is I'm able to yeah I'm able for the first time on anchor to be actually to be who I actually am which is to me I, maybe I can say I'm one of the most authentic people on anchor although I don't know everybody. But if people want authenticity, if people do want, the, you know, the true person coming out, warts and all, all that kind of thing, then potentially maybe I'll lay claim to that title if it's around. But I like being um, – I mean, people call me an influencer or an anchor. If I can influence anchor in a positive way, if I can reach out to people – I put a lady who was struggling with her mental health in touch with somebody else through the day and they're now talking – that's my, my goal. My goal, Dan, is if one person listens to me uh, on Anchor and they may speak up about mental health, they may have a discussion, they may go see a doctor, they may ask for help, they may come to me, you, whoever. That, for me, is, is the goal. It's not about the numbers. It's not about the following. It's not about the the top 20s and this other kind of thing. Truly, for me, it's to help Possibly help myself, number one, which I'm doing because I've got a voice, which I haven't had most of my life. Number two, I truly want to, you know, again, people might think, well, what's he doing, echoing all these things? It's because I want to, I know at the end of the day that it is affecting. I know that. Uh, I had a call in yesterday from a lady who said, I had no engagement, Simon. You echoed a segment, I got 19 listens. Wow, thank you. So, you know, and you are the same at the, at the end of the day, Dan. You are an influencer, whether we like it or not. Some of us are influencers, but I guess for me, it's how authentically do you use that influence? Like you and me, and Eileen, and maybe Kelly Mirabella, maybe Gary at Motors Bit, Tim. I don't know. We can just go on and on with the amount of people who are doing good. We use it, and I certainly use it, in a positive way. If I can send some support to somebody who's new to anchor or send a tip. Or, or, you know, give them the lift that, I don't know, maybe I never have. I never had that support done when I, you know, you know, when I needed that help. It wasn't there. Right. Right. Uh, so, all all of this is, is, is me giving, you could say it's me, it's authentic because it's me giving everything that I never had. I never had that support done, ever in my well, life. And now, I, mean, I, I have.
0: Well, and then I know for a lot of the new members of Anchor, that can really mean a lot. And, I know uh, last night I was just uh, looking for some content that I thought would be a blessing, just like I know you look for that. And I, I think I looked in the recent area, which I often do, and someone had just did their first podcast, and you did a good job. And so I called in and you know, said, hey, you encouraged them, And then I echoed it onto my site, and then I saw that you later echoed it onto your site, and then... They called in and they were just very thankful and just appreciative. And I mean, that's what it's all about, you know, just uh, showing someone else that you value them and value their voice. And I, I think that's what makes Anchor a very special place, doesn't
1: it? From, from my point of view, like I said, my support comes from not having had that support, if, if that makes sense. So. Right I, I want to be in the opposite direction because i didn't have the love, and I want to give it because i didn't have the support I want to support and encourage other people, so you and others will maybe now understand a bit more as to why i 'm supporting people, why i 'm sending out the love that is true and authentic it's all coming from the because I had the opposite in my life you know i didn't have the support whilst I was running whilst I was trying to become a better person uh, I, I absolutely didn't have it, and so it's great for me to now be in a place where you know i, I don't have jealousy in the, the day that i don't look at the people and think you've got more followers more this more that more the other kind of thing i look at hold a minute who's the people that are struggling on here who's the person that's getting no engagement who's the person that that may need that uh you know that input? and that's to me is an influencer you know it's not about uh me and my thing and my following kind of thing that that's a bonus if i get a well done done that's a bonus that's great but i I don't work my, my daily you know, thing that I do and Anchor is not about that. It's, it's trying to pinpoint those that may need, like I said, that little bit of support. And, and we do have a, like a little circle, I believe, on there now, a little group of people right. who are sure. in the same place. We do very different things, but we, but we have a little unwritten code, don't we, that we do share in echo it. We We do point them in the right direction. We do give them the tips and support them kind of thing. And, for me, that's a character thing. Nobody's telling us to do that. It's because it's who we are in real life. Um, and for me, right. like I said, if I think that somebody's got their voice out there, you know, if somebody's done a really, you know, you'll hear it, some really good podcast, nobody's listening. And I'm like, that's a tragedy. You, you know, sure. that voice that needs to agree. be heard. And like I said, my voice wasn't heard for most of my life. So if... So for the, you know, people who come to me, they write the most amazing messages or callings. Wow, Simon, that, by you echoing that, has changed my life. Well, great for them, but I say... That's really cool. Honest, but I say, well, I, I clicked a button. You know, that's the truth of it, isn't it, Dan? We, we've clicked a button. And yet right. somebody suggested that we've changed their life or we've helped them. Um, so, you know, with that little bit of power uh, comes the ability for me to be able to affect in a positive way. And like I said, in a lot of my life, I've had that voice, but I've not used it in the correct manner. I've hurt any number of people which I take responsibility for. But what you and others are hearing on Anchor now, to me, is, like I said, version two. The, the version that has an open heart and is, is, is literally, if somebody said to me, today, hey, I'm spreading the love all over Anchor. Well, if you can imagine, that for 44 years, I couldn't even love myself. I couldn't bring myself to say that. Wow, and yet, right. And, and, yet, and yet now, I, I can truly send messages to people and say, you know, I'm sending you love. So every time when you hear that, you'll know exactly. The, it's the journey Dan. It's the how much has it taken me to be able to say, to say that to someone is huge. It's a, it is truly a lifetime's journey to be able to start to love myself and in turn, be able to give a little bit. And I only give a little bit, to be fair. People may think I give a lot to anger. I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think it's that much, but maybe it is impacting on people. And I'll allow people to make their own reasons or whatever, kind of thing. But whilst I'm on, for anybody who has sent me uh, love and support and, and these messages, it, it's truly humbling every single time. It doesn't matter what I've achieved or done, which is a lot in my life, you know, running across Spain, marathons, uh, the, the awards that I've won on this other kind of thing, they don't define me. What defines me is I'm now in a position, Dan, to be able to speak from a place of authenticity and speak from a place of love and not want to hurt anybody, not want to harm anybody and want to do good. That, for me, is my is my true life journey, hence my station name, which you'll now understand is exactly... Exactly who I am.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> is, awesome. All my, that.
1: <laughs>
0: Simon says, well, we are all thankful that at this time you found Anchor and it's a part in your journey that you are sharing your voice, your 2.0 voice and all the, the things that you've learned. And so we are uh, richer and blessed by you being part of Anchor. And I just want to thank you for taking time for this interview. Wow. Uh, it's been great to get to know you better and uh it it's it's uh, really fun being on anchor it's just it's just a a great rich experience for me i know it is for you and so uh we will just keep on uh helping each other out and supporting each other because that's what uh community and kind of the anchor family does right
1: truly Dan, and and just to say that um you know you have your place in that community um you're doing it authentically you're doing it to help people like me. You are the type of people on there that i you know that I engage with and you know and will continue to support because that's that's what i see and uh, it's it's a small- commu- you know it's a small community compared to tommy's anchor and and like I said, I think you said before i I truly hope we can retain this family you know family feel where, yes. where you know we feel we can just call up and call in and
0: hello Simon I may have lost Simon it's been an international call so thank you Simon again for everything it's been a great interview if you can hear me I can't hear you right now so I will just kind of wrap this up and uh, thank you again and we will see you on anchor let's stay anchored my friends when you're down and feeling blue and you just don't know what to do ask Simon Says and he'll see you through Simon Says Simon Says is in the top ten he'll help you time and time again I'd vote for Simon Says for Anchor Prez Simon Says Simon says, Simon says, Simon says.